Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Connecting to the big show. In three, two, one. I went to my car and I cried, how are we going to do this? How do we keep our family safe? There's Jesse, Nettles, Purdy, and I'm actually planning a wedding for the goats at Halloween. We're all in the war. We're all in the war now. You know, they're here. We're looking after them, and rightly so. Join the conversation. Call 0818 96 96 96. Extra WhatsApp 083 396 Email opinion at 96fm.ie. This is the Opinion Line with P. Whatever about fines going up and doubling and penalty point numbers going up and some of them doubling in the last year or so, whatever about all of that, we need to watch our speed and we need to watch how we observe the rules of the road and all of that. See the stuff in the papers over the weekend, they really have declared war, or rather Eamon Ryan really has declared war on the humble motorist, if you believe what you read yesterday, in the business post. It's, it's, it's actually getting almost now, you'd nearly hang your head, or they want you to hang your head in shame to, to be an, an ordinary motorist who has to drive to school and drive to work and drive the family around the place. They really do seem to want they, 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 they seem to hate the motorist Come to some of those details a little bit later on. We have a, a giveaway for you this week on the show. Nice one too with Carrigline Furniture and Carpets. A whopper of a voucher to spend on respa mattresses and beds or quality flooring and carpets. You decide what you want to buy from Carrigline Furniture and Carpets. The voucher is 1500 quid. And I'll go through details of how you win that a little bit later this morning. 0818 96 96 96 Monday morning. Yes, it is going to get cold. Got colder already overnight. It is going to get very cold overnight tonight and into tomorrow. Uh, the beast from the east too. I don't think it's going to happen. I really don't think it's going to happen. Um, Alan at Carlow Weather saying snow in the north of the country now looking likely for the mid to back end of the week but we'll escape with just some very frosty nights down here and we'll take that we will certainly take that I don't know if you were caught up on it Saturday afternoon but if you were or your children were or your grandchildren were and if I felt any way intimidated or bothered or upset by what was going on on the Grand Parade on Saturday afternoon. I would like to hear from you. There were two 
sets of protesters. And look, we have a right to protest. That's in our constitution, it's in the law. We all have a right to protest. There was two protests going on together. One was a group called Cork Says No to Racism, or that was the theme of the protest. The other was the opposite, uh, anti-immigration protest. And the two sides appeared to have clashed at one point. And it took a row of, I'm told, 20 guards just to keep the peace between the two groups of people. Donald O'Keefe has been writing about this in in The Echo. Donald, you you were there, I think. Did it at any point get intimidating? Good morning. Good morning, PJ. Um, I personally didn't feel intimidated. I was between the two uh, groups. I I think it was just by way of just background. There was a group gathered around the National Monument from about midday. It was very good-natured. There was great good humour in the crowd. Uh, There was music. Um, Martin Lee, he sang his his great song, Everyone Everyone Should Have a Home. Mm -hmm. There was a brass band playing. There was kids, there was flags, there was just general good humour. Uh, there were speeches condemning racism. When things kicked off, was nearer to one o'clock. There was about 500 people at the National Monument and down by the library. Initially, there was a group of 20, then 30, then 40. It started to build. And just about, I'd say, quarter to one, maybe, uh, a very small number of those protesters who were anti-immigrant protesters they made their way up toward the National Monument and they started confronting people at the edge of the uh, anti-racism crowd. Um, they were very aggressive. They were, no, it, I, I would have to say that they were met with anger by some of the anti-racism protesters. Mm-hmm. Um, from there, I saw McNugent, uh, Sinn Féin councillor McNugent, uh, intervening and reasoning with a very, very angry young man who was roaring about um, the housing crisis and how Ireland should house the uh, house the Irish and not the world? And Mick Mick was rational and calm, and really he talked him down and he persuaded him to go back up to the library to the other the other protesters. Mm-hmm. Uh, but no, I, 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 around that time, about a dozen Gardaí arrived and began to form a, a wall, if you like, a cordon. Um, to on the if you like on the side on the monument side of of the grand parade. Uh, at that point, I saw a, a very small woman uh, from Dublin, whom, whom I know and who probably would be known to a few of the listeners. Uh, Sheila O'Byrne, who's a mother and baby home survivor. Mm-hmm. Sheila know, Sheila. is. You know Sheila, of course you do. Um, Sheila Sheila was in Cork for twenty or more years. She's uh, she's a survivor of St Pat's on the Navan Road. Um, in, in 1976, her baby was was forcibly adopted. Yes. Uh, but Sheila, as part of East Wall, says no. And I was only talking to her um, earlier, and she is really insistent on saying that she's not a racist, that she is opposed to housing people in inhuman conditions in direct provision centres. Um, no, in 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 any case, mm. Sheila was accosted. No, Sheila is pretty boisterous um, and she believes very much in what she's protesting for, but she was accosted by one man from the anti... Sorry, one man who appeared to me 
to be with the anti-racism protesters. Mm-hmm. He was a tall man. He was as tall as I am. And he was he was masked. He was wearing a face mask and a hood. No, yeah. he manhandled her physically. Uh, and at which stage a guard intervened. Okay. So that th- those were those were the only two physical altercations sure. I witnessed. The East Wall says nothing, Donald, that grew out of, if people have forgotten, that, because people do, that grew out of, didn't it, the use of a former, was it electricity building or office building, to, they, they turned it into accommodation in, in the space of a few days to put people exactly. in there. Yeah. That's exactly it. Now, Sheila was saying that she uh, believes that there's no fire search for that building and she believes it's not fit for human habitation. Um, no, that's one That's one person out of a, what, a crowd that turned into about, I, I, would, I would say, almost 200 yeah. at, their, at their peak. And other people in that group would include the National Party, members of the National Party, which is a tiny far-right organisation which has never had a single member elected to any office in the land. They were uh, standing with, uh, with with signs saying, end the plantation, uh, how's the Irish, not the, not the world. Mm-hmm. I, I'm were eggs thrown of, at one point, Donald? Yes, I spoke with one woman who had been egged. Um, she said that it's, it's standard behaviour um, at anti-immigrant protests. She also said she saw people brandishing bananas, which I, I kind of went, bananas? And, of course, the answer is that it's, it's a racist trope um, <clears throat> whereby you're likening people to, to monkeys. Yes, sir. That's... I, I didn't... I'll be honest, my, my, my brain wouldn't be the fastest. I didn't go there. But uh, that's that's apparently why bananas are used. Yeah. Um, I'd have to say, no, there was, at, at, at the peak of the protest, there were 20 Gardaí um, standing in a line on the Grand Parade. The people behind them were the anti-racist uh, protesters. And the people who were approaching that line, the people who were doing, if you like, all the running were from the anti-immigrant camp. Yeah. Um, it got very loud. It was very ugly in in in, par- in parts. Um, but I'd have to say the anti-racist people were, for the more part at least, were were good humoured. Yeah. Um, there was an awful lot of shouting, though. Yeah. There was a lot of people trying to drown each other out. A lot, a lot of passion so, out there. I mean, you people passionate about the welcoming of the refugees. You people equally passionate that the housing list is too long and nothing has been done about it as they see it. But a lot of people, I think, probably, Donald, feeling left down that the whole thing descended into violence and, and took up gather resources. I, I'd have to say, no, PJ, my own, my own observations were, if you said descended into violence, there were two scuffles. Okay, that would, that's you'd, what you saw. You'd have to, yeah. you'd, you'd have Clearly to the guys were afraid that. there would be more if they turned out in, in those numbers, though. Well, there were 20 guards at the peak. There was initially a dozen more arrived within an hour. And there was, I think, and I'm open to correction, I thought there was 20, between 25 and 30 uniformed guardy there. I don't know if there were undercover guards there as well. Yeah. Um, 25, 25 to 30, I'm sure. And uh, I'm reading your account in the in the Echo, Donald. 20 to 30 guardy on a Saturday afternoon you'd hardly have that many around town. So clearly they were afraid something might happen. 
something, well, PJ, I suppose this is what, as you say, when passions run high, yeah. this is always a fear. Um, the I, I just thought that the, the, the majority, I got to speak with quite a few people yeah. on the uh, anti-racism side. I made an effort to talk to people on the other side and uh, people... Didn't, some people didn't want to speak with yeah. me. One well, you, you and I, was, Donald, you know from covering these kind of things as a journalist long enough, when you speak to one side of a protest, the other side doesn't want to talk to you because they think you're on their side. So that can be <laughs> difficult, you know. Well, um, and uh, we, we reporters just report. <laughs> exactly. Um, Indeed we do. But I, I have to say, though, I did speak with a lot of people on the anti-racism side, principally because it started earlier. So um, they were there to be spoken with. Yes. Uh, and there were there were some just it was it was really it was a friendly, warm, welcoming. It was what I personally would think of well, if you when I the, think of if you look at people. the organizers, Donald. Look at the organizers of that. They're people we all know. They're they're known for their decency and their kindness. And I know, they, for example, yeah. one of the musicians there, Magella. I mean, Magella wouldn't raise her voice in in a hundred years. She's just a no, quick, kind and sweet and gentle person. Magella, Magella read her poem Change for 2023 yeah. and she spoke with me afterwards and I'm just looking at, at her comments. She just said, I believe the hatred that I've seen online towards refugees and people coming into this country is a disgrace. Yeah. She said, there's enough wealth in this country to feed and clothe and house everybody. And the housing crisis has been here for a long time before any refugee set foot on this soil. Very hard to argue with that, isn't it? Landlords. Yeah, yeah it, it absolutely is. But, I mean, you're, you're talking about some people who are very angry. You're talking about some people who are very angry about other things. And I, I fear that you'll always find other people who will harness that anger. Indeed. And yes. it's, it's, it is very, very... It's it's unpleasant to see that on on our streets, PJ, to it see is. rage directed against innocent people, against refugees who are coming here, uh, coming from far far worse situations than any of us. Thank God are in. That, that's the truth. But, Listen, thank you for that, Donald Donald O'Keefe of the Echo, who was there Saturday afternoon. They are his observations. I would love to hear yours if you were there. Um, for some reason, there was twenty to thirty Gardaí deemed to be needed I know based on Donald's observation there were not violent scenes, he said he saw a few scuffles, that was it, one or two scuffles a lot of shouting and roaring and there was some eggs thrown, but for some reason God the management had deemed it necessary to put 20 to 30 members of the force on standby and that line of 20 or 30 members of the force possibly, we can only speculate possibly stop things from getting a lot nastier on Saturday afternoon. Took up a lot of resources too. And look, we get it that people are passionate. People are passionate about welcoming those coming from overseas. People are equally passionate about the fact that the housing crisis is so unbalanced. I've said it myself here of a morning. There's accommodation being set up up and down the country for people from other countries. And they're welcome to it. Every bit of them is welcome to it. But then you have a poor devil sleeping in the doorway of Debenhams at 7 o'clock on a cold Monday morning. And I can't understand why he or she, because there are women there too. And in fact, I walked past a couple about a week and a half ago. I was coming in off the bus up Winthrop Street there. 
Was it Winthrop Street? Yeah, there where the... Yeah, Winthrop Street. Walking in up Winthrop Street there past McDonald's and there was a couple asleep in the doorway. So, yeah, a lot of passions and it gets angry. You know? I mean, our government would really want to be, I think, as an observer... As a journalist, as an Irishman, as a proud Corkman, as someone who keeps an eye on what's going on around me and tries to take a sense and a flavour of any story that comes across my desk. I don't just sit here like a, a gob on a stick and say the first thing that comes into my head. Pretty much everything I've said is based on my own observation as an adult. And I would be worried if I was a guard this could reach boiling point. There was some reason why, some reason why on Saturday, Garda management, in their, in their wisdom, experienced members of Angarda Shihana, sergeants, inspectors, superintendents, whatever, grade was in charge, they felt in their experience and their understanding that there was a threat. And that could have reached boiling points on Saturday. Uh, what? I'll see when this. I'll, I'll bet you. You know what? One thing to make sure I read your text is to tell me you bet I won't read it. That's a red rag to a bull for me. Of course I'll read it. <laughs> but no, I would. And I, I know Donald. Donald is one of the most balanced and fair reporters out there. I know him a long time. We know each other a long time, and he doesn't hype anything up that doesn't require hyping but if some member of Garda management deemed it necessary to put 30 members on the street Saturday afternoon somebody somewhere in Anglesey Street or higher up than Anglesey Street feels we're close to a boiling point and we don't want to be there when when it happens okay I bet you won't read this out Ask those anti-racists, do they have refugees in their homes? Actually, many of them have. Many simply can't. That's the truth. I know one person, uh, known them for a very long time, who've taken a family in. Um, It was revealed in the newspaper at the weekend, I don't know if you saw it, it was in the Independent yesterday, that Simon Coveney has actually taken a, a family in to his home. Um, and a lot of people have a lot of people can't I for example could not wouldn't have the space could not do it uh, others would and could and do and are 0818969696 but if, if you ever if you ever want to guarantee I'll read your text just say I'll bet you won't read this out 0818969696 were you down there on Saturday though were you there? You know what you do. You know the way you do. You bring your grandchildren to town on the Saturday. You bring your kids to town on the Saturday for a wander around and maybe a trip into McDonald's and a, a treat. And it was a nice, was a nice enough day Saturday. It was a lovely day to be out in town and wandering around in, into the English market, get a bit of fish and maybe a bit of meat, wander around town, you know, McDonald's or something there on the corner of Don Square, a bit of, you know, and, and then... Walk down into this. Anybody see what was going on? Anybody have a different view of it than what Donald just gave us? 
says this government should have tried to fix the issues in the country first because it was obvious where things were going to go. Obvious by those who feel left behind. Yeah, it's very hard to be balanced. You need to try and balance where you stand on this. And I think people who listen to me often enough will know that I do my best in that regard. I can understand why people are upset that they see or they perceive that people coming here from other countries get a better deal and get it faster than the poor devil asleep in the door of Debenhams at 7 o'clock on a Monday morning. There is a perception out there that that happens and that makes people angry. It sure does. The other side of it is that the people coming here from wherever they're coming are coming from an awful lot worse than any of us will ever have to face. That is also an incontrovertible fact. And you have to try to find somewhere in between the two to fit, pitch yourself, particularly in a, in a reasonably responsible position like I hold, where I have to try, I have to try and see all sides of a story. Sometimes I just refuse point blank and say, no, I'm st- sitting here and this is where I'm going to sit. Like something like Debenhams. Which, by the way, the the documentary won another clatter of awards at the weekend. Absolutely can't wait to see it. Let me go to uh, Clash to Eamon Reich, to Aaron Wolf, because the principal up there. Aaron, you've come up with another idea. You've got 25 Ukrainians in the school at the moment, I think. And you actually think we should now think of opening a school for our new Ukrainian friends. Good morning. Hi PJ, how are you doing? Very um, well, no, sir. not not exactly. The, the our pitch to the department, um, I think the media picked up on it and they did they 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 got it wrong. We're not suggesting we okay. have a Ukrainian school, but what we are suggesting is that internally within the schools they could look at a model which is being used in Germany at the moment. So my school, as I've been on before, we've been visiting different countries, looking at how um, refugees are welcomed into the education system and what works best, and when we we were in Germany, we saw a great system where refugees from the same country were put together in the same class. So we're not calling on a, a Ukrainian school, but we are certainly looking for provision where maybe you could have a Ukrainian class. Okay. Um, so, for example, we would have Irish on in this school. It's a secondary school. So in secondary school, you change subject every hour. So when Irish 
time, rather than those students doing Irish, obviously they, they're, they're exempt from Irish, they could go to their own class and carry on and being taught Ukrainian. And it's not just for Ukrainian students. I mean, in my school uh, this year, we introduced Polish because we have an awful lot of Polish people obviously living in Ireland and they have a right to learn their their, their native mother language. And they are, these are called lesser taught languages mm-hmm. because obviously the majority of schools, you, they do French, they do German or which is coming very popular now we're doing Spanish but you have a lot of people from Poland and so we introduce Polish as one of our subjects so on our language line we have French Spanish and Polish and all we're suggesting as a department is if we were given uh, modular buildings to allow for us to withdraw the Ukrainian students and send them to a class they could learn Ukrainian and maybe instead of doing geography when the rest of the school are doing geography they could go out again and be taught some of their Ukrainian curriculum because I think what people aren't realising is that when these children are coming over to us, now remember they don't want to come here obviously, they're escaping a war zone um, they're coming for six hours school a day with me, but then they go home and they do two hours a day with an online Ukrainian school. Oh do they? And they are exhausted, they do and it's something oh, that is not me, reported. Tell me more about that Aaron because I didn't know that, tell me more Yes, now um, with, that's, 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 that's as much as I can tell you, it's an online school and they get to carry on with their own curriculum because of course these students want to go home you know, for them, this is only a temporary measure. They're in Ireland until the war is, is finished and then they want to go back and they want to go to Ukrainian universities and they want to live in Ukraine as, you know, act as active citizens that have jobs. So a lot of our students um, go to a Ukrainian school where they learn Ukrainian and they learn the Ukrainian curriculum. And some of them spend two hours after school and some of them attend in the morning time. And we would have some students that come in late and say, well, I was doing my Ukrainian school or I was doing my Ukrainian homework. Wouldn't it be wonderful, Aaron, if you, like you said, a modular unit where they could go and have their morning classes in that in your school? Absolutely. And that's what we're looking for. We're not looking for a Ukrainian school. We are looking for a provision within the Irish education system that the Ukrainian students could come to school and get all the benefits of coming to school. Because remember, if they're doing this online learning at home, they're doing it from a hotel room because they're staying in a hotel. You know, so and there's no in this and, modern and IT world, Eamon Reish could have a modular classroom or a dedicated classroom set up with the proper IT, so that in the mor- in the morning or whenever they want, whenever they do it, your your 25 Ukrainian students can take class in their own language in their own school online. Fantastic! That's that, exactly. That sounds that's like a no-brainer. It, it does like, well, and, and the difference here and other schools could maybe do this without getting modular buildings. We've just run out of space. I don't have a classroom free to do this. If I did, I would start it tomorrow. So all we are asking for is a modular classroom to, to, to give us the space to do this. Okay, okay. Um, so again, even we're looking at, we've got increased enrollments. That means we're taking on more teachers. And we said to the department, look, we're willing to employ a Ukrainian teacher with our increased enrollment so they could actually be taught in person by someone who has Ukrainian. And for anyone listening, but sure, that's taking an Irish person out of a job. Those 25 students are enrolled in our system and they are entitled to capitation for every 19 students who are entitled to one extra teacher. So they are entitled to a teacher that would be able to teach their subject. Ah, and gotcha. remember, it's it's not just Ukrainian. We're already teaching subjects like Polish to the people that come from Polish as we are teaching Irish and we're teaching English. 
you know, and so on like that. So it's nothing new. And it's not just, discriminating just, against just anyone or making anyone feel. I know, yeah, you, you, of an idea. you had Michael McGrath visiting the school Friday. How did that go? And did you, and you, you, you mentioned this to him? We did, we did. Um, he was very good. He was coming. So this was last Friday. We've mentioned the idea. We've told him that we've already contacted the department for over a year trying to see could this move along. But, you know, things do move slowly. So he was interested in the idea. Like you said, it sounds like a no brainer. But obviously dealing with any organization, there's a lot of red tape to go through. Um, but we'd be hopeful because it, it makes it makes sense, you know, Um it, it, it helps them because at the end of the day, they are children we're dealing with. And like you mentioned before I came on there that they've come, they've escaped from hardship that none of us can fully realise. But I tell you, when you speak to them as children, that's when you really realise how bad things are, mm. you know. Um, 12 year olds that have escaped, they were only 11 when they left. You know, some of them have been to primary school here and they've come up to us. It is dreadful what they've been through. And small human things like we've got a school dog here now through My Canine Companion, which is a charity that gives um, support dogs to school. So she's a puppy. She's Cora. But when she met the Ukrainian students, some of them started crying. And we were like, God, what's happening? And said, but sure, we've left all our dogs at home. Yeah. You know, something very small like that. Uh, they, they've left their dogs, their cats that they've had for years, family pets. Yes, and they don't know how they are now. You know, and these um, are small. Had, these are small things, but they're the most human of things. Oh, it's very huge. Like so, it's a very human level. So when we do see people protesting and saying oh, all this terrible stuff, think of the. <laughs> that's a line from The Simpsons. Think of the children, but do certainly think of these um, very young children. And I had a, a new boy came in today. No, no English at all from Ukraine. His mother had come um, in advance of him, and and dad isn't here, but. The boy and the dad were very scared because they said in Ukraine, the story is that when you go to the foreign countries like Ireland, you were put in internment camps. And she said there's actually genuine fear in those countries. Wow. Um, when you come. And I'd never heard that before. Until is that this happening morning. somewhere, Aaron, that they have reason to believe it's happening I here? I don't know. I don't know. But, you know, but, you know is it just propaganda? I, when, we were, when, we, when we've been visiting these countries, we met some Russian people who spoke about Russian propaganda. And she said that uh, this Russian lady who had left Russia with her husband to escape because they didn't want to get in turn, uh, they didn't want to be signed up to the army. They were telling us that very reasonable friends of theirs have fallen for the propaganda being spewed out in Russia. And she said, like, a total different version of events. So I'm not sure. I'd never heard that before, but this lady said, yeah, some people are very frightened. They're scared, actually, to leave Ukraine. Wow. OK. Uh, we'll see where that idea goes, Aaron. I know you've pitched it now to Minister Michael McGrath, the man with the money, as it were. Thank you. Uh, Aaron Walsh, Principal of Cloche de Eamon Rich. The idea may be misinterpreted by some media, which that happens, that we've, we've been known to do that from time to time. But the idea is he's got 25... Ukrainian students just now and more coming and because of the capitation system and the way students are paid for in school they're entitled to a teacher so he's saying let's get a teacher let's get a dedicated room let us put their homes did you know that did you know that the Ukrainian kids coming here are doing school at home for an hour or two hours a day did you know that because I certainly didn't know that so let them have their Ukrainian schooling in their Department of Education school using the wonders of technology. I think that's a sen sensationally good idea. Oh wait, that's a great idea, says this call. I know a lot of the Ukraine refugees are doing lessons online based around the Ukrainian curriculum anyway. Yeah, 
and you could do it all online. We got very, didn't we get very good at doing stuff online over the last couple of years? 0818 Gary says, not racist. Biggest issue people have is all the unvetted men with no papers being left into the country. No issues with genuine refugees, but stop all the freebies. You see, most refugees, Gary, this is the point, someone fleeing a war or fleeing a regime that might hurt them, fleeing things that you and I, Gary, and let's always remember this, fleeing things that you and I will never have to deal with in the entirety of our lives. So we can't begin to understand it. Sometimes if you're running away from a bomb, like they were in Ukraine, or sometimes if you're running away from a war or the, the possibility that you'd be taken out and shot just because you happen to be gay, that happens. You, you mightn't have all that much time to gather together papers. You mightn't have all that much time to go and make sure your passport is up to date. Shall we just need to understand certain things? With some fun with names on Friday on the show. That's Alicia Beth Moore, better known to you and me as Pink. And a million dreams, Cork's 96 FM. We got an email. We had some fun, like I said, on Friday morning. I'm not too sure if I got to all those comments. Maybe, Richard, you could pull up Friday morning's held over stuff because I, th- I, don't th- I don't think I got to them all. But I had an email, and in New Jersey, they're roughly five hours behind us, which means it's now about quarter to five in the morning. So by the time Giselle Hoyt, and I hope I'm pronouncing that correctly, Hoyt or Hoyt, by the time Giselle Hoyt, turns on our podcast, it'll be like nice mid-morning times. She gets to do the whole podcast without any of the annoying ads. <laughs> anyway, Giselle listens very very regularly to the podcast of the show. Born and raised in Cork, listening in New Jersey. Uh, funny story with names. We named our daughter Kaylee after my aunt. When she was about eight, she wanted to know what her grown-up name would be. Because... Kaylee is only a kid's name. She's finally okay with her grown-up name at the age of 20. Me, myself, I never grew up, never met another Giselle growing up, but today it's fairly popular. Thanks, PJ. Thanks, Giselle. I hope, as I said, I'm pronouncing it correctly, Hoyt, H-O-E-D-T, listening to us in New Jersey, USA. 0818-9696. But if you are overseas... Best way to contact us is, of course, um, opinion at 96fm.ie. Or if you wanted to WhatsApp us from wherever you are in the world, just go 353 Now, Harold Kingston, I'm sorry to hear. I knew you had... I knew you had developed long COVID. I'm sorry to hear that you're still shook, my friend. That's not Harold, anyway. <laughs> there's, a few, there's a few ladies around here as well making their presence felt. Sorry about that. Um, you know, <laughs> welcome to the zoo. Sorry, the farm. <laughs> Harold, you know what? If I have a better introduction to a contributor to the show this week, i let you know. Come <laughs> Uh, but it's only Monday. I know. <laughs> I'm sorry to hear you're shook still with long COVID, mate. Yeah, look, it's 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 one of those things that I thought I thought would would um, would be medium term COVID as opposed to long term COVID. But yeah, 
it's um, like look, I'm I'm definitely improving, um, but but it's it's uh, it's a longer process than I thought, and you know it's even this morning there are no other few calves that were heading to uh, Bandon Marks. Um, and uh, I was winded after moving six in motor pain, you know. So um, that was probably a good sign of the calves too. They're fairly lively, um, so hope they hope they make a good price when they get in. They, they certainly won't uh, won't disappoint the new owner. But, when but like, when yeah, did you it, catch it, the lurgy? Um So I, I caught it in in uh, in June last year. Right. Um, it, 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 I think I think it was at a concert, the first concert I'd been to in about two years, <laughs> you know yourself. Mm. Um, and um, yeah, like we, the the most of us got it that time. All of us will have had it had it uh, at some stage yeah. and so on. And we have vaccinated. Who, who, uh, oh yeah, yeah. Every every shot I could get. Yeah, <laughs> um, it's still, it's still uh, flattened you. Yeah, so like I think the um, well, look, I, I suppose what flattened me was was a, a clot in the lung. Um, which uh, apparently is quite common to get. Um, the advantage of a clot in the lung, if there is such a thing as an advantage over over a clot anywhere else, is that it's at an in point, so it doesn't move anywhere else. So yes. at least there was no panic um, about anything else being caused by that. Um, but it seems to have caused problems in, in in the chest area. I have no lung damage, thankfully. But but that's um, yeah, the chest does take you a while to recover. Yeah, yeah. and the old um, head was a bit, you know, muffed for the head. Yeah, a bit still still a bit fuzzy. Yeah, so like if I if I get tired, I get confused as well. I see. Um, so yeah, it, it, it's um, look, it, it's about managing it and knowing what it is, and and it's about you know giving it time. Apparently, <laughs> seems to be the thing because I've tried. Um, anti-inflammatories I've tried different things um, and and um, you know look it, it, it just hasn't uh, it, it has improved definitely Good. Um, you know my, my normal uh, springtime routine um, well I, 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 besides the work part of it is, is that I, I make sure that I schedule food in I try to schedule sleep and so on so it's about scheduling breaks and if you're tired you take a break yeah. one thing I have been told is that if I push myself I'm not going to do any further damage so at least that yeah. You know, I, I needn't worry then if, if I have to um, go hard for a, for a short while, mm. then, you know, once I take the recovery time, I'm fine again. What age are you, you know? do you mind me asking? So I'm mid-50s, yeah, 54 okay. shortly. Okay, um, young man, so, young man. So you, you know, yeah, yeah, do you I'm, need to I'm get a young out farmer of the apparently because uh, yeah, young, young farmer, uh, uh, 58 is the average age of a farmer, so I'm still a young farmer. Um, so yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm getting out of cows. Now, look, look COVID, I suppose, was... was it's not the main reason, but it's it certainly was it was a, a catalyst to help uh, help me make the decision. Yeah. Um, in terms of telling me that I'm not getting any younger, <laughs> so I, you know. So you have a um, you have 143 head. Yeah, plus plus 44 young ones as well. So yeah, there there's uh, there's a big big sale happening on Thursday. Um, uh, I was looking at, at the possibility of doing it on, on farm and I was advised against it because I'd have a huge amount of work setting up pins and there'd be at least 50% of the people coming would be coming for a look and a poke around as well. So, um, uh, and I'd be left with the cleanup afterwards. So, so, um, so yeah, there, there's, um, there'll be 14 loads heading to Brandon Mart on, uh, mm. on, on Thursday morning. Uh, I have a feeling the first one is probably heading off at six o'clock in order that everything is inside for 10. Are you sad so, about it? Um, uh, sure. Yeah. Like, look, it's it's if if you if you focus on on the emotions and so on, of course you'll be sad. You know, like there's there's certain cows. Like, you know, I I, I came home. Um, well, I, I finished uh, in Dara College. I was in Dara in, in '88. Um, I, I took over officially 
um, from my dad in 97. So like, you know, I, I've been 34 years working here, bar a bit of time off for, for um, placements and so on and other firms for, for training purposes. Um, that that's that's about what a lot of people work in in a in a job, and and it's about deciding you know this is the time to move if I'm going to move. Um, my wife is in in full time uh, uh, employment off farm. Um, my eldest fellow is in Bantry and uh, National Learning Network there, enjoying himself there. Um, has zero interest in the farm. Younger guy is is doing leaving cert this year. He definitely has has an interest, but realistically, he's you know I don't want to put him under pressure that he has to come home until he gets his education, gets mm. a chance to travel, you know, have a have a look at the world. Uh, is it so harder, Harold, to get younger people into farming now? It it's it is and it isn't in that you know the 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 thing about about farming is that it it you know there's there's high stakes involved in it and so on. Um, it is definitely a major commitment. Um, getting access into it, if you want to take over a farm, can be difficult. You know, if you're inheriting, obviously, you know, that's one route. Uh, there's a lot of people leasing. There's 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 so many options. If if people want to get involved in farming, you know, I'm I'm even looking now the the fact that you know this farm was was a big farm in my in my dad's time. Uh, realistically, by the time my son takes over, there will be just one income. Yeah. A possible bearing off it. I'll need to find some other employment. Um, and it's probably going to be easier for me to find employment now than it will be kind of heading for 60. Um, yes. So it, it's, it's, a, it's a practical decision on that. You know, like, look, there are certain cows in this herd now um, that I, like, I, I started doing breeding. My dad used to always just buy in whatever replacements he needed and so on. But like, I, I've, I've, I know generations of, of, of these cows. Now I was, I was even telling the, the, first, the first cow that's going to be into the ring on, on Thursday morning now, she's 1992. Um, she normally leads the way into the parlour in the morning. Uh, third caver so she's you know I said look she's not necessarily the top cow no she's not in earshot so I can say that um, but but she, she's, she's a bit of a and so on um, sorry for laughing I, I, was, I, just so, so. I, I, I was able to tell the I, I bought her great grandmother off a neighbour uh, as a heifer years back and I was able to tell him that's his you know this this lady is is, is coming in first um, oh, but like you know, the, the yeah there, there's there's um, no there's there's a lot of characters in there and so on I wouldn't necessarily call them all favourites but there's a lot of characters in there um, those with serious personality issues left a long time ago I'd, I'd had enough of them they <laughs> they um, they became burgers fairly quickly, you know, oh. because you, <laughs> life is too short. Um, you know, no, it's, so it's, it's when you, you know, put to be it's, it's, to be you know? it's, it's when you put the term great grandmother and heifer in the one sentence. I lost it. I just lost it. <laughs> <laughs> well, by right, I should be saying saying uh, great granddam because dam is the technical term that's used for for the the mother in 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 the dairy side of it, and sire for the for the dad. So yeah, that's that's um, you can get technical. You can get um, yes, you know. Sometimes you'll 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 stick a few um, human-based uh, uh, terms in there so that people will understand them. You're <laughs> you know? keeping the gear though. You're you're not. Oh yeah. So like yeah yeah. Everything is staying put. Um, I did have one phone call looking for the bulk tank, and I said no. Everything is staying put, so that um, at any stage we can decide to push the button and start up again. Um, so everything is staying put. Like the farm is set up as a dairy farm. 
uh, roadways, water. I invested a good bit of money in, in in water systems and so on because with 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 the way with with the way weather is going, with with, with climate change exacerbated and so on, um, we we fa- face droughts here in the summer uh, and making sure that there's enough water. So I put a good bit of money into into that. So that's all in place. All the slurry systems are in place and so on. Um, no, there will be dairy stock staying here by the looks of it because I'm, I'm looking at rearing young stock for somebody else okay. um, so it'll be still it'll be a dairy farm but without milking cows you'll be, you'll um, be keeping, you'll be keeping people, the you know, hand yeah, in the, very much exactly yeah yeah I'm not ready to, 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 to retire completely right. yet uh, just, just much, lastly Harold before this. I let you go yeah. is there a lot of long COVID among farmers do you know from your working IFA, I, I haven't heard of a lot of it actually. There, there. Like I know, I've, I've, I've joined an online community. You know, looking at, at, at different things on it. Um, but I don't think there's too many farmers. Not too many have interacted on it. Um, you know, most, most people get through it reasonably quickly and manage to, to, to work their way through it. I suppose it, it's just for me. Um, you know. Yeah, the chest is the is the problem, right. and because of that, the head then as well that I get, you know, um, the bit of brain fog and so on. Right. Um, but yeah, it, it, there, I I haven't I haven't come across too many actually. No. Well, you look I, after yourself, Harold, and uh, long life and good health to you. And I know you're not retiring, uh, but with whatever the next chapter is, good luck with it. Thank you, Harold. That's uh, Harold Kingston, uh, Cork Central Chairman of IFA, who is stepping down from dairying because he has or partly at least because he has long COVID. Join the conversation This is the Opinion Line With the Cork City Marathon Take on your next challenge this June by running solo or with a team Register at CorkCityMarathon.ie Cork's 96 FM The minds are live Join the conversation. Call 0818 and I will get to it in a moment. 0818 96 96 96. I'll let you hear the audio as well for our competition later this hour. One more time. I'm sorry, I can't help laughing. Not to mind if we beat that introduction to a call this week or this month when I went to go to talk to Carol Harold Kingston and actually got one member of his dairy herd bellowing down the phone at me. I think that'll, that's the intro of the week. Julianne, you were around Douglas, was it yesterday? And I think you were a bit concerned by the things you saw. Good morning. Good, good morning, PJ. Yes. Um, we went to um, Douglas, a small bit of shopping yesterday afternoon. Mm. And um, we went into the Aldi car park at maybe quarter past four, something like that. Yes. And um, a flock of children... Um, that were probably maybe 12 years old or thereabouts, I wouldn't be exactly sure, um, came along the alleyway that's beside the trustee savings bank from Douglas Village yes. into the car park. There's a little alleyway there. There is. It goes and up the side of the permanent TSB, up past the side of the chemist, up past the side of the pizza place and up into the well, car park, yeah. Into the car park, yes. And there were several groups of children, like, you know, 15 children at a time, 
came running along and um they, they it was just quite quite peculiar and they moved on from the car park and I didn't take a whole lot of notice at the time they were mainly boys there was a few girls with um, a good bit of makeup on them but very few little young girls right. uh, mainly boys and then we went into the um, Aldi uh, shop bought a very few items and came out again within about 10, 15, 10, or 10, 10 minutes or 15 minutes and as we were going out of the car park, I could see there's a brown brick building at the right-hand side as you drive out of the Aldi car park. And that is boarded up. It yes. was recently sold, I believe. I know the, I know the building you're, t- you're talking about, yeah. One of those hoardings on the upstairs on the first floor window, there was a child inside of that smoking. And I believe that the whole bunch of children were in there. Now, I didn't see them go in, but that's what it looks like to me. And it also looks like that they were on social media, that they all got there together. So were all of these kids just... Sorry to cross cross you, Joanna. I wasn't there yesterday, obviously. I was out of of the village for the day. So they were coming from the, shall we say, from the... From the village side, from the KC side, as it were, up through the alleyway, up into the Aldi car park. And when you came back out of Aldi, you you think they'd all gone into this building? I reckon they had gone into the building. I'm not sure where the access point is or anything like that. And I'm not sure if any children came from another direction towards that building as well. (laughs) But my concerns would be that there were so many children unsupervised, you know, at that a very young age. Yes. And if they were breaking into a building that they didn't have, weren't entitled to have access to, if one of them was smoking, at least that I observed inside in it, and there would be a danger of fire with that building. Yeah. And um, also that I reckon it had to be on social media for all the children to get together at the same time. It was like a flock of stars. It looked organised to you, did it? It looked organised. It looked it looked like they had all been in touch with each other because they all came running. And it was we noticed one poor child that was a bit overweight and that was struggling to keep up afterwards to catch up with the group but I don't know where they came from but there must be CCTV footage that would confirm that if all those children actually went into that building and I would wonder um, about the parents of all these children if you happen to have a child of that age um, might you find out what they were doing between, say, quarter past four on Sunday until maybe half past five or something like that? Mm. Um, I don't know if the child that I observed on the first floor just as I was driving past was on lookout or if he just was inadvertently beside the window while he was smoking or something like that, uh, not meaning to be observed. Right, right. You're sure so, that building is completely vacant? I know it's uh, for sale. It's a sold. It has a sold sign on it, and it has hoardings up on top okay, of it. Okay, okay, okay. I know the building of which you speak. Yeah. yeah, 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 yeah. It's a brown. It's painted. It seems to be painted brown brick. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And yeah. it's right. It's it's on your right hand side as you drive out of Aldi. It's probably across from McDonald's. Yeah, I know. So your yeah. your concern is that this was. A big bunch of kids who seem seem to have gotten into this building in an organised way. Yeah, 
and and there was a huge number of them. Yes. So it is a matter for the attention of the parents in Douglas, surely, or uh, if I don't know, I presume they're 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 um, relatively local children. Yeah. But it would be a matter of concern because um, one thing leads to another, yes. and children can go wrong. They can have accidents not, and fires can start. They're not intervene at that. I think your message, Julianne, is more to parents in that if you're the parent of an eleven or twelve year old, four o'clock, half four on a Sunday, do you know? where they are. Yeah, yeah. I suppose the parents would say you have to let them out. They might have gone out with three or four of their friends or something and just took off running. And like that the parents didn't didn't, didn't know where they were. But is there a way of checking social media to see what happened? And is there a way to check CCTV footage in the locality? Because I think there's another way into the back of that yeah. uh, that 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 um, area um, further along the Douglas Village. Yeah, they um, got in. They got in there somehow. Anyway, if that if that's where yeah, they went. Yeah, but yeah, I think your concern is asking parents where where were your children? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And if anybody else observed this, and if if they can say for sure if the, the children, all those children, went into that building. Yeah. Okay. Okay, Julianne. Thank you for that. You describe it well. So yesterday afternoon, the Aldi car park in Douglas, which anyone who knows the area knows, is a fine size of a car park, and you can access it from the village side, up past the old permanent TSB there. It's old, it's still still working. The back of the garage up there. What Julianne observed was a large group of kids. It seemed to be an organised group. Seemed to be. She no evidence, but it seems to have been organised in some way. Up. She went do a bit of shopping, came out and then there is an abandoned building there. Vacant building, sold building, whatever you want to call it. I know the one. And there was, she said she saw someone smoking. And she's wondering, were they all in there? And if they were all in there, what happened if there was an accident? And do their parents know where they are? And she's just asking parents, do you know where your kids are when they go out in the afternoon? It's a, it's an eternal question. It is an eternal question. And when they get to be 12 or 13 or 14, they want to go out. They want to meet their mates. They want to gather. They want to do stuff together. It's the most normal thing in the world. But Julianne reckons... Be careful, we, 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 we as parents should know where they are and what they're doing and who they're with, which is a fair point. 0818 96 96 96. Here's a lovely story. Um, I bring them on Jim and Kathleen Murray uh, because you've been through it, you've been through the mill with young Finn, but he's coming out the other side. Jim and Kathleen, good morning to you. Good morning. Hi, Peter. How are you doing? How are you, Jim? Do you want to take the story up for me? Playing football a couple of years ago and had a fall, most normal thing ever happens during a match. Take it up from there. Yeah, so I suppose in August, PJ, in 2020, uh, Finn was um, heading over to uh, Soccer Blitz. And you know, like most young age, I the best stage and out playing football all the time. Uh, and yeah, basically he went for a ball on the pitch he didn't have a, um, a crash in with any other children. He just basically had an unfortunate kind of a slip where he, he almost did the splits uh, and twisted at the same time. Um, and we later found out that he'd actually 
broken his hip. I mean, he didn't know that for a couple of days, but he actually had a, a really uh, serious injury, and in a way that was really unusual to happen because usually those type of um, those type of uh, of injuries would come out of like a a car accident or something like that. So, wow. Yeah, fairly fairly traumatic. He was eleven at the time, wasn't he? No, he was eight. When he was eight at the time. Okay. Yeah, he's just about to turn 11 now, actually, in May. But, uh, yeah, this was back in 2020. He was, he was eight years old. Okay. So, were you at the match, Kathleen? I wasn't, no. I got a phone call to say that he'd had an accident. And um, so, obviously, jumped in the car and went up straight away to get him. And I could see fairly straight away he was in a lot of pain. Um, but we didn't think straight away, obviously, that he had broken his hip because it's such a, a rare, rare thing for a, a, a child yeah. to happen. In fact, I think it's the first time in my life I've heard of a child breaking their hip and certainly mm-hmm. certainly that way, Jim. So, yeah. went, went to see you. Did he go immediately to see you, H, or what's the story? No, he came home and um, we had, you know, our, our GP and, and, you know, and a few people were of the opinion at the time, which was quite, you know, quite irrational kind of a thing to come to, that he had he'd probably pulled the muscle off his hip, uh, and that that was why he was in so much pain. Okay. Jim, I'm going to give you back to to Richard for a second, because that line is very messy. I want to see if we can tidy it up. Uh, if, you, if you don't mind, Kathleen, I'll stay with you for a few minutes while we try and clean up. Jim's line. So, so he was at home in a lot of pain. He, he was. He he wasn't in a. It, it was only really when he moved um, that he was in a huge amount of pain. Um, and even you know he could he could still he could get you know he was in his bed. He was he you know he he wasn't. Could he walk around? No, no, he couldn't walk around. But as I say, I think Jim mentioned there that we thought he maybe had taken the muscle off. Yes. Off, off. But anyway, fairly, fairly, John, we could see that really he, you know, there was no improvement straight away, and he was still quite a lot of pain. So we we up we went to A and E, right? And um, they obviously looked at him and. He needed a, an X-ray, and we um, straight away when we saw that he had an X-ray, that they, they saw he'd broken his hip. Crikey, that's a fright mm. to get. Particularly a couple of days later. Mm, yeah, I think I can still remember the, the young girl doing the X-ray, and I think she was even shocked. Do you know, it was just it's just something that's just never really seen in paediatrics as a, as a broken hip. Wow. So he had surgery, I take it, and everything was okay? He, yeah, he had surgery in CUH with a, a great team there. He was really well looked after. Um, he had a plate and six screws inserted. And, um, yeah, everything was, was great, really. For you know, he, he really healed well. They were really ha- happy with his progress. And then he, in about April 21, started complaining slightly of groin pain, and he developed a limp. Right, so I'd bring you back in at this stage, Jim. Hopefully, we've cleaned the line up a little bit. So he went to. They discovered he'd broken the hip at the hospital, and as as Kathleen says, they, they'd never seen this in a paediatric patient before. A broken hip. Did yeah. the repair. Everything was going fine, and then he started to limp. Yeah. So I suppose it was a kind of your worst nightmare. Really, he, we thought he was out the other side of it. Um, you know the, the actual imaging of the of the break. You could you couldn't actually see the break anymore. It had healed so well. Mm. 
But unfortunately, from the trauma of the accident, Finn developed what's called AVN, which is avascular necrosis. And that basically means that the blood flow going into the femoral head, if you, you know, the head of the hip, yes. it's like your like your fist or something, that basically should be nice and round, and that started to collapse. Ooh, was that yeah. painful? It wasn't really painful at the time. Um, he did have a he did have a limp, as Kathleen said. But basically, what would have happened, PJ, was would be that the hip would have collapsed and collapsed, and then he would have been in a lot of pain. Wow! So we had to take action. So it, was it from the trauma of the original break? Yes, it was from the trauma of the original break, and this AVN wouldn't really show itself for a few months, so you really wouldn't know until we say, I suppose, it was the April, which yes. was uh, a good. Well, it was more than six months really after the the accident. That it takes that time, I suppose, for the, for the hip to start collapsing. Yeah, it's a thing called the, the, to give its full title: avascular necrosis. And effectively, yeah, what it is is if the if the bone doesn't have a proper blood supply, it just exactly. dies. It just exactly. dies. Exactly. That's, yeah. So, so obviously, something needed to be done here. This was very specialised. What happened then? Well, I think I'll probably. Hand you on to Kathleen because, as as her as his mother, I think she she absolutely went to all links to to kind of see if there was something that okay. could be done for him. Because I suppose the initial sort of um, way that they were going about it in Cork was that they were hopeful that that it might correct itself. But really, as time went on, PJ, it was apparent that actually he wasn't going to get better. The prognosis was was unfor- was was not good, Kathleen. Effectively, the, the 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 bone was rotting here. That's that's how you put it. The bone was rotting. Yeah, it, the, the the bone was exactly. Um, so he was he was straight back onto crutches. He 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 put the his foot down. You know, they were trying to keep the weight off it to try and protect it as much. But we soon realised that you know really something had to be done. Um, and, and again, because it was such a rare thing to happen. Um, I just really had to start researching and finding out what was the best um, course of action to take. Um, but unfortunately, because it is so rare, there's you know, very little information out there. Um, so I guess to cut a long story short, I got in touch with a, a, a AVN specialist in Baltimore in the States. Maryland, um, yeah. yeah. Yeah, yeah, at Sinai Hospital in Baltimore. And um, he, in turn, he's a, an AVN specialist for 30 years, and he was amazing. Um, but he had, he had no major experience in paediatrics, so he passed me on to his colleague, um, a guy who was very experienced. And literally within two or three days, we were talking to this guy. He had Finn's x-rays, and um, he... Basically, we had a Zoom with him, and he basically said there was only really one option, and that was um, for Finn to go through a procedure called hip distraction. And um, it's basically where they take a, a, a blood vessel from another part of his body and um, put that into the hip to try and get the blood flowing again. Oh. And then a, a metal frame is inserted over his hip, so it, it's called um, an external fixator. So it's, for want of a better word, it's like scaffolding. Like a cage, yeah. yeah. Exactly. There's six, six metal um, 
I suppose, pins going straight into the bones in his hip. I'm even and squirming, Kathleen, at the thought <laughs> of it. Poor little devil. Yeah, and, you know, he was only nine at the time, you know. Um, so, uh, you know, at that, that stage, you really have to put your trust in these people. Um, but I, I suppose our major problem was that they were in America. And I... You know, I was thinking, surely, and we were back in, we were in COVID at this time too, and we had two thin siblings at home, so it was going to be a, a fairly difficult procedure to, but, you know, to go to America, but we said, you know, if that had to be done. Um, but at the same time, I was thinking, surely there must be an alternative closer to home. Yes. Um, so that's when I went back and started researching again. And um, at the same time as we were talking to the guys in America, um, I came across... This, this chap in, in Dublin called Connor Green mm-hmm. and um, it, it, it looks as if he had kind of links with, with, with the guys in America and so I, I contacted our, our GP in Conakilty here and I said, you know, is it, is it worth us um, talking to this guy? And our um, GP, Dr. Cahill, who's a, a, a fabulous doctor in Con, said, um, absolutely, I think we should. And um, and that's how we got the ball rolling with Dr. Green in um, the, the orthopaedic hospital in Kappa. A lot of people don't realise that we have a national orthopaedic hospital and it's been there for a long time, Kappa Hospital. Mm-hmm. And they do specific, mm-hmm. they do super work with kids actually. Up there. Phenomenal work, yeah. phenomenal work. So um, he had his operation know, where? Where did he have his operation? So, so we got in touch with Dr. Green and... Uh, Literally within hours, he was talking to our, our, our GP, and within 40 hours, he was talking to us, and he just agreed straight away with the guys in America that this is, was exactly what 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 needed to happen. Um, so he had his operation in December 2021, um, and that was a, a fairly huge, a fairly huge. Um, Undertaking. It's a big surgery, hospital. yeah. Yeah, a massive surgery. Yeah, it, it was, and um, you know, it was a big thing for us to, to to put him through it as well. But we just felt that it was his his only option. Uh, unfortunately, you can't really, um, you know, he's going to lose his hip, and kids, you can't really give a, a hip replacement to a child. I think the youngest they've done is about fourteen because right. there's only a, a certain shelf life. Yeah. Or, you know, or, they are, um, about 10, <laughs> 10 years, they say, for yeah. some. <coughs> Excuse me, really, so how, how is Finn now? Finn is absolutely amazing. Um, he had his operation, as I said, in December um, 21, and he had the external fixator on until uh, the end of April 22. So he had six months in a wheelchair. Um, we were up and down to Kappa start with every two weeks um, and then that, that kind of went out to about a, a, a month the team up there were just phenomenal, they're a, a small specialised team so mm-hmm. you saw the, um, the physio the nurse, the occupational therapist every time he went up he saw um, Mr Green himself and um, you know we had intense physio at home and they were always on the, the other end of the phone to us or um, by email and um, yeah he got the fixator off in um, about the end of April he still had about another month in a wheelchair after that and um, and then he just went from strength to strength since Very then good. Is he, and he, can he play ball again yet or can he well, we ride were a bike up a, 
Yeah, we were up again there um, just about three or four weeks ago and they gave them the okay to, to go back to um, playing sport. Isn't that fantastic? That's fantastic, Jim, isn't it? Oh, my God. I suppose, as Kathleen said, Conor Green gave him back his childhood, really. Um, you know, otherwise we were looking at, at Finn um, progressively getting worse. And actually, I suppose, worst of all as well, pain would have started to kick in. Yes. Arthritis would have started to kick in. Um, and he wouldn't have been able to avail of a hip replacement. So I suppose it was, like I suppose, like Catherine said, that it was kind of a hard thing to put him through, but we knew that it was the only thing really to do yes. for the long, to the long term, you know. Yes, yes. And, and it was just such a, a rare and complex condition very rare and very, yeah, very isn't it rare. incredible yeah. that we have I'm, a lot of people wouldn't know about it because it's, it's a hospital that carries on its work and doesn't seek a lot of publicity and doesn't get a lot of publicity but yeah. particularly for children they do extraordinary work at Kappa oh, extraordinary un- yeah, un- un- unbelievable work and there's kids there from every corner of the country Mm-hmm. You know, when we go up, you can hear the Donegal accent, mm-hmm. you can hear the Kerry accent. It's it, it, it's amazing. Yeah. And some children up there are under their care for years, yeah. sometimes it, even their entire childhood. It used to be where kids went for the treatment of what used to be called clicky hip. I think they have a new name for it now. Yeah. But, yeah, it was. A, yeah. And there was kids used to spend months. I remember going to school with a, a young lad who spent eight months in plaster. A lot can happen in three years, like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at uh1.com. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters, May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss. PlushCare.com slash weight loss. Literally plaster. Mm. From from mm. chest to, to to knees, and it was all done in Kappa to keep his hip in place. Incredible work! Yeah. And you know, your heart would go out to these children. Oh, wouldn't it just? No. All they want to do is be the same as every other child running around. The same guy went on to be a boxer, so you know. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> you know? yeah. <laughs> it was fabulous, Jim and Kathleen. My best to Finn, and my best to you. And good news, we can do magnificent things in this country. And for all of the stuff we talk about with regard to the health service, they're back with the dear lads for all the stuff that we talk about with regard to the health service and all the faults, and they are many many, many, many of them there is also brilliance sheer international brilliance in our health service the likes of Dr. Conor Green who did that for for young Finn in the National Orthopaedic Hospital, Kappa and that's a really good news story for a, 
a spring Monday morning. 0818 96 96 96. There are idiots putting drivers' lives at risk on motorways to the point where Gardaí have now asked that we try and control it or that something be done about it or indeed that we be aware, just be aware that some idiot will throw something at us from a motorway bridge. Join the conversation. This is the Opinion Line. With the Cork City Marathon. Take on your next challenge this June by running solo or with a team. Register at CorkCityMarathon.ie Cork's 96 FM You do have to wonder what kind of a half-wit thinks it's funny to stand on a bridge over a motorway and throw something down at a car below. What class of a half-wit does that. Clearly so many of them are doing it now that the guards have had to warn us to be careful. The latest relatively serious or potentially very serious incident was in County Tipperary. It's been covered in the Independent here in a minute by Ralph Regal. Ralph, the guards have actually warned now just to be wary of something being thrown from above the road. Good morning. Good morning, PJ. Yeah, and, and as you said, PJ, it's hard to imagine something more incredibly stupid and dangerous, but that, that's actually what happened. Now, it occurred on the M8, um, just, um, I think it's north of Care, when this driver was, was, was passing and saw a number of people standing on one of the flyovers. And for whatever reason, they were just suspicious, so they kind of slowed down a little bit, which was very fortunate because an object was thrown um, at the car. It's believed to have been a rock. It actually... It shattered the the windscreen of the car. Now the driver was very fortunate; they were able to, because they had slowed down, they were able to pull over safely to the side. There was no injuries; there was no other vehicle involved. But it could so easily have ended in tragedy. And as you said, PJ, like I mean, it, it's not an isolated incident. We had it in Cork back in 2015 uh, when it happened in Cork. The Gardaí had to actually increase um, routine patrols mm. around flyovers um, and issue warnings themselves. There was a, a there's been a couple of incidents of that up in County Wicklow. Uh, there was an appalling incident in Dublin about four years ago, five years ago, where an object was thrown off a flyover bridge directly in front of an oncoming car, and it turned out to be a bag of kittens. Oh my God. And yeah, shock and stuff. And that it was a really bad one on the Meath-Kildare um, border where um, a rock was thrown. A, a, it's actually even hard to say that this happened, but a rock was thrown at an ambulance and there was damage, sufficient damage done to the ambulance that it had to actually be taken out of service. So, you know, if these things continue, the guards are very concerned that it's ultimately going to result in someone being very seriously injured or possibly even killed. I remember so an incident rather being reported a number of years ago on the flyover there that goes down near Mahan Point. Correct, PJ, yeah. And I think that's the, the incident that the, the guards were referring to. It was about, I think, 2015, and they were so concerned at the potential implications of it that, that patrols were increased around some of these bridges just to act as a deterrent. So what the guards are saying is that, look, you know, think about the consequences of these things because someone could you know, ultimately lose their life because you're dealing with vehicles that, because it's motorways, vehicles tend to be travelling 80, 100, 120 kilometers an hour, where if anything happens at that speed, someone swerves, if someone loses their vision, it's going to have really, really terrible consequences. You could cause multiple pileups, not just to the car that was hit, but to anything coming around it on either lane. It doesn't bear thinking about it. And you have to ask yourself again, Ralph, like, who does this? Has anyone ever been arrested with regard to one of these? 
No, to the best of my knowledge, there hasn't done in this neck of the woods, PJ. I know that there have been a number of incidents in Dublin where people have been brought in. I think there's been a couple of juvenile cautions issued uh, in respect to these incidents in Dublin. But again, the fear amongst the Gardaí is that you know, if this continues one of these days, there's going to be an accident where people are left with life-changing injuries or someone is actually going to be killed. And that's when, you know, how, how anyone could ever find this to be funny or amusing or some type of a jape, ultimately it could have very, very serious consequences for them. All right, thank you very much, Ralph Regal of the Irish Independent. Gardy, warning now, warning motorists as they go on motorways or anywhere there's a flyover to be wary that there could be some little scrote willing to throw something, a stone or something bigger than a stone, or in that awful incident in Dublin, a bag of kittens at a vehicle underneath. I think I remember, was it a wheelie bin or something like a wheelie bin that was thrown off that flyover down there, man? A few years ago. I remember being here talking about it in the days after it happened. Simply couldn't believe this. And then the ultimate was where someone actually thought it was a good idea to throw something off a flyover bridge at a moving ambulance. Thrashing in the street is too good for that kind of person. I would bring back the birch for that tomorrow if you don't know what I mean by bring back the birch if you're too young look it up I'd bring back the cat and nine tails for that crack uh, I'll will I go to five lads can I go to five I'll come back to it in a second uh, just more uh, yeah on long COVID I'm talking to Harold Kingston Michael says I had COVID at the end of December 21 I'm still attending hospital specialists in fact tomorrow I have an appointment with a respiratory consultant and in May I have a cardiac consultant Thankfully, I'm improving, but last year was very tough. As well as the difficulty in breathing, the unbearable tiredness was just incredible. And another caller is St. Harold. I've been sick for the last two years with long COVID. I just want to thank PJ for his coverage of COVID and all the down-to-earth issues that affect us every day. Well, thank you for those very kind words, and I hope you'll have a recovery of some stage. It would be almost silly to call it speedy at this stage if you have it for two years. But that's 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 way too long. Thank you for those words. Oh eight one eight ninety six ninety six ninety six. Sarah says, "Why can't they have a class?" This is to do with Aaron Wolf's idea up at Eamon Reach that they would bring all the Ukrainian students in the school into a class and use technology to let them have their Ukrainian lessons, their lessons from home, zoomed into the class, as it were. Sarah says, why can't they have a class for children with learning disabilities so they don't have to leave their community for secondary school? That's the issue with this country. They're leaving the Irish people to one side and all the people who are coming in are getting everything. Which is a commonly held view, Sarah. It is a commonly held view. It's easy to know why someone might hold that view. The Ukrainians attach a capitation grant. So any Ukrainian going to a school is being paid for by the Department of Education. But with regard to the non-provision, and you're so right, of course, the non-provision of special needs education, that was happening long time before there was ever anyone coming from Ukraine. Children uh, with special and additional needs were being kicked to the curb or to touch 
for many, many years before anyone ever came in from Ukraine. But thank you for that, Sarah. Colin, you were a victim of one of these incidents with a rock, was it? Good morning, PJ. Can you hear me now? I yeah? can, sir. I can. Yeah. This yeah. happened to you quite a few years ago. It did, uh, PJ. In 1986, uh, we were in France. We were driving back from a, a holiday down the Mediterranean, and uh, we were up up towards Calais. About one o'clock in the morning, um, a car coming towards me, uh, some somebody without a brain, uh, threw a rock at my car. It came straight through the windscreen and hit me in the forehead. Oh, my God. No, <clears throat> I had my wife and, and three children at the time in the back seat. Um, and um, the first thing that happened to me was the lights went out of my, from my eyes because my eyes got filled with glass and, and, and everything else. So geez, I just hopped, hopped, hopped up on the brake and luckily the car came to a stop without hitting anything or going off the road. So I ended up spending uh, nearly three weeks in hospital in France where they had to reconstruct the front of my face. Um, I could have ended up blind because of in, 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 in those days, the cars had the toughened windscreens, you know, the ones that shattered into the small That's pieces. That's right, I do, yeah. Um, they, one of my, my left eye is okay. My right eye, I still to this day have a problem in my right eye uh, as a result of that accident. Good Lord. Um, it could have killed the five of us. Wow. You know? Um, was it just, was it come from a bridge or something, was it? No, it was actually an oncoming car. Um, you know, there was obviously the, the, at the time there, PJ. There was there was aggravation between the the, the French and the English over the export of lamb to France, and the, the farmers were protesting. I remember about that. Right, they were burning lorry loads of lamb and everything. Right, so I'd have been I'd have, I'd have had an Irish car, and I think they probably identified me as 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 an English car on account of the the, the, the black things on the headlights. And you were close to a you were close to a and port. I was close to Calais, and one o'clock in the morning, we're going for a ferry. We used to do the land bridge in those days, and uh, next, uh, I, you know, I, in, in those days, now I I I was involved in rally driving and all that kind of stuff, and I was really tuned in. Yeah, if you get me, and. I saw the car come towards me, and I, I fell out through the roof of the car like it was a, 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 a Citroen 2 CV now with the roof open. And next, whack, the, the windscreen got hit by a rock. Oh, my and God. Straight, straight, straight through the windscreen and hit me in the forehead. Now, I'm lucky in a way in that, I was explained to me afterwards, that a bang in the front of the head won't, won't knock you unconscious, right? It's, it's um, because your skull is very thick there, but it fractured my skull. But... Um, in France at that time, there was leading edge uh, technology uh, for dealing with facial injuries. So they were made, they were able to reconstruct my, uh, my my forehead and my nose and my cheekbones and my eye sockets and everything like that um, in such a way that you, you don't see the work that's done now. Good but God. Um, my, my right eye, the, the iris is torn in this from one of the pieces of glass that couldn't be fixed. So at, at night now, I'm kind of night blind. Yes, and if 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 this if the sun is if it's very very bright, I kind of lose contrast out of that eye. You I know, see. It's, it's, I see. It's, it's weak ever since. Thank you. But yeah, they're, they're the kind of things that can happen, PJ. You know, I mean, it might be great fun or whatever. You know, to try and do that. But you know, if that comes through the windscreen of somebody driving and they, they lose control of the car, uh, there could be five people in that car that will get killed. That's true. That's very true. No, you're 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 so right, Colin. And the fact that the fact that guards have to warn about it now, to be on the alert for something happening, we've just reached a new level, I think, of aggression, and arrogance, and pure nastiness in in this country. Thank you, Colin. I'm glad you made a good recovery. You described the incident extraordinarily well. 1986 in France during a protest. 
there were protests there. I remember them. If you're old enough, you remember them. There were the lamb protests. There was a row over the exportation of lamb, and it got very nasty. And we all talk about the French and how up with stuff they will not put. Thanks, Colin. Up with stuff they will not put, and fair play to them for that. But this clearly, in Colin's case, got out of hand entirely. Now, Frank, I'll talk to Frank next. Electric Ireland, they're still getting grief over this. They didn't get as much grief as I thought they'd get in the Sunday papers. You'll remember Electric Ireland came out a week or so ago and said they were going to reduce the bills for business, small business, by between 10 and 15%. The average would be 10%. And people said, OK, that's grand. Cost of wholesale is coming down. We can all expect now our household electricity to come down as well. <laughs> no, no, not happening so far. Electric Ireland have not moved anywhere in terms of household electricity. And Frank has been thinking about it. I'll talk to Frank next. Join the conversation. This is the Opinion Line. With the Cork City Marathon. Take on your next challenge this June by running solo or with a team. Register at CorkCityMarathon.ie Cork's 96 FM Whatever sport you support, grab that jersey and stick it on for Radiothon. The Cork's 96FM Giving for Living Radiothon returns this May. And Friday 26th is Jersey Day. You make me feel... Get together with family, friends, colleagues or classmates and wear your favourite jersey to raise funds for Cork Cancer Services. See 96FM.ie for more. 96FM.ie for more. The Giving for Living Radiothon. Supporting Cork Cancer Services. May 25th to 27th. You make you make me feel... Only on Cork's 96FM. So that announcement by Electric Ireland last week that they were going to cut costs for small business. To be fair, it's welcome. But there was nothing in it for you or me, Frank, or anyone like us. Morning. Morning, David. How are you? Good. No, 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 nothing yet. Now, they've said nothing yet, but nothing for the householder. Right. Let's look at what they said was this two or three weeks ago, that residential customers were subsidising businesses illegally for many, many years. Yes. So they're going to give us something like a 50 quid rebase sometime in the future because they've admitted it was illegal. Yes, they were taking it out wrongly. They were calculating it wrongly, so we're all owed money. Yeah. Illegally, basically. Yeah. So, And now they're saying they'll reduce by 10 to 15% business um, bills and not residential, which means residential customers are, again, going to be subsidising businesses, which they said was illegal. That's actually very... Well, you put it that way, Frank, that's very logical. Yeah, but, yeah, logic and... You and, yeah. you and I were subsidising businesses uh, I know. No, illegally. We will, we will be again. No, we will be again, because they're going to get us... Small businesses getting a discount. Not just small business, all business. But we're not getting it. No. But, I mean, doesn't it make sense that they're just after saying it was illegal and no, it's exactly what they're doing. Yeah, that's a very good point, Frank. Very I mean, good point. I, I know, another simple thing, PJ. If you're a member of VHI, we'll say. I know where you're going to go. Go on. Right, you can ring VHI and say, what is the cheapest product available to me? If that's a business product, VHI has to, by law, offer it to you. Here's a better one, Frank. If you have someone working above an Apple, the biggest employer in Cork, 
Now, I don't know whether they have health insurance. I'm just assuming for a minute that they do. They probably do, yeah. Right? So, and, and the best in the God's room if they have. If you know somebody, I mean even just know them to talk to, working in Apple, and you get the name of their health insurance plan, they usually have a code number. That's right, yeah. If so you ring like, up, the, you must by law get that. You must. I'm wondering. No, I don't know. It might be under different laws or whatever. If you ring any of the energy providers, let's just say, for argument's sake, Electric Ireland, yeah. and say, right, I want the exact same rate as Apple Computers or the local shop has or yeah. business. I'm wondering, I presume it's never been tried, but... I very much doubt it, I, because I know that having talked to health insurance experts over the years, people like Patrick Brennan and Dermot Good and people like that, this is something that the industry has been doing for years, almost inadvertently. But you couldn't actually take it out now. Yeah. I, I mean, okay, it would probably be, it would take, take a, probably a Supreme Court case even at this stage, no, to try and do anything like. But yeah, yeah. I, I just think that the, um, the reduction in business, yeah, you're right, it is, of course it's welcome. Yeah. But it should have been across the board. Yes. It, it, it's that simple. And look, look, we all know that prices are tumbling. I think the prices are lower now than they were pre, pre-COVID. On wholesale, um, depending on what paper I, you I read... I know they, they buy them in advance. I know that. Months, months. And that's okay. That's We understand that. We've learned that for now. But the, some of the wholesale prices are lower than they were pre-COVID. You're right. Yeah. But if if there if Electra we said like so Electra Ireland said that right we buy in advance so we have to wait for it to catch up. I mean Ryanair buy their fuel probably twelve months in advance and can still give us nine eight nine flights. Yeah, actually the and and in, and to be fair, you're right. They got caught well, they royally got, caught, caught big, with big it. Time. And, and Mick had to de- Mick, Mick, Mick O'Leary had to dig into their war chest. They have a do you know they have a two billion pound sterling war chest like. That's that, that, that they had to dig in to go, but then they didn't punish us with the. You're right. No, you're dead right, Frank. They didn't punish us. I mean, as you know, you can still get your whatever nine eighteen nine or. Hey, listen. <laughs> I'm after getting. I'm after getting peak holiday season flights to Lanzarote for three of us for stupid money, Frank. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, I bet you, you. But you can if you obviously if you yeah. stop around, you can definitely. Yeah, you can. Do you um, know what I mean? And and but you're dead right. Ryanair didn't screw us. They got caught. They didn't screw us. But the ESB, or whatever they call themselves these days. Yeah, sure. But I mean, they're all basically, it's, it's money. For, I mean, look at the profits. The profits are obscene. They are. They are. Now, what makes me laugh is you have Leo saying, oh, they'll have to catch up now for the householders. They'll have to catch up with the householders. They'll have to. So, Leo, what will they do about it if they don't? Uh, absolutely nothing. And when will you, and when will you do it? Absolutely nothing. They're talking about they're talking about a windfall tax. Um, sure that that's only going to come back on the taxpayer anyway. Eventually, unfortunately, you're right. we we poor buggers who get mugged once a month by the tax manager leaving the building. We're that on was, the hook for everything, aren't we? That, that's about the size of PJ. I don't know. Did you ever? Well, I know you you passed through Blackpool. Yeah, many times, but, of course. Yeah, passed through it any time by night. Take a quick look up at the tax office. Every single light in the building is on all night. Really? Yes. And who's paying that energy bill? 
Um, yes, yeah, yeah. Half your wages, I'm sure, with the, with the USC being abolished, as it's going to be, you know. I know. Frank, good man, thank you. 0818969696. Who's paying that energy bill when the revenue building has the lights on all night long? You and me and Frank and Fergal and Richard, and we're all paying it. 0818969696. All right, who is, who is this? Just want to keep having fun. Some of it comes easier, some of it doesn't. <laughs> Sorry. Production department, you've outdone yourself. If you know who that is, his name and yours, please, to 083 396 Caroline Furniture and Carpets with us for the week with a €1,500 Euro voucher to be one to spend on respite mattresses and beds or quality flooring and carpets. Anything they sell in the shop. You can have it with that big voucher which we give away on Friday. Who's your man? Your name and his to 083 396 Join the conversation. This is the Opinion Line. With the Cork City Marathon. Take on your next challenge this June by running solo or with a team. Register at CorkCityMarathon.ie. Cork's 96 FM. The lines are live. Join the conversation. Call 0818 96 96 96. Text or WhatsApp 083 396 96 96. Email opinion at 96fm.ie. This is the Opinion Line with PJ Coogan. 96 FM. 0818969696 is the number on people dropping stuff onto motorways and roads. Mary says... They should be conscripted. Let's see how brave they are then. Oh, they'd cry for their mammies, Mary. They'd cry for their mammies. They'd whimper for their mammies the second you announced it to them. The second you pulled them into a uniform and said, go do that. Oh, anyone who goes up on the top of a bridge and throws something down onto a motorway on top of a passing car or ambulance or whatever, you are just a scumbag. You're filth if you do that. If you, anyone who's ever done that or been involved in doing that, just it's just not the lowest form of filth that would that would do that. Really is. And do I sound extreme? Yes, I do. I drive a lot, and I drive under bridges all the time. And it's something that the day that the guards have to come out and warn us that there are people sick enough, sick enough to do that. That's that's a day that makes me very, very angry. 0818 96, 96, 96. I see there in the paper at the weekend, Judge Olin Kelleher um, in his court, Cork District Court, saying that people who attack or intimidate or, as he puts it himself, act the maggot with hospital staff should go to prison. Now, in this particular case, he didn't jail the man before him. The man was David Higgins with an address at Knockfree Avenue in Fair Hill. He pleaded guilty to charges of engaging in threatening behaviour and being drunk and a danger to himself and others at the Mercy on December 18th at about 6 o'clock in the morning. Uh, he was drunk and violent and a nuisance, basically. And he was fined €200 euro for threatening behaviour and €150 for being drunk and a danger to himself and to others. That's what Judge Kelleher imposed. But he said he wouldn't send him to prison on this occasion because he was only 19. 
and had only one previous conviction for drunkenness. Now, I have the greatest respect for Judge Kelleher and I know him a long time. Uh, Judge Kelleher was once a member of the sports commentary team at 96 SC 103. So there you go. Um, but he was. It's a long time ago and I travelled Europe with the now judge Olin Kelleher because he was our, our analyst so I know Olin well and he's not a man that minces his words although I'm going to send him a royalty check or a royalty invoice for acting the magus that's mine <laughs> I'm only messing on but and having said that people who do this with hospital staff should go to prison he then gave David Higgins one more chance I guess everyone deserves one more chance to do that but he's right in what he says he is right in what he says, is Judge, Judge, Judge Kelleher. Do you know, um, if you turn on a nurse or another patient or a doctor or a porter or anybody trying to help you in a hospital and flatten them, the, the judge said that he knew one person who was out of work. He said, I know one person who's out of work for nine months because of people like you. He's dead right. 0818 96 96 96 after Julianne's call or Julianne's call about that derelict building in Douglas remember she was on to me last hour she said yesterday afternoon she was observing this big group of youngsters in Douglas up the alleyway there by the permanent TSB at the back of the garage in through the Aldi car park to a building that is now vacant outside Aldi or near Aldi and she said she spotted them and she believed they were all going into that building well, we got quite a few calls. Thanks, Julianne, for starting that conversation. A lot of parents may not know, but we are getting several calls that kids are inhabiting this derelict building in Douglas. And as Julianne was saying, they may be up to no harm. They may well be up to no harm that ever was. But they could come to harm. Because uh, they're young and they, they don't make the right kind of decisions at that age. But thank you for that. On health insurance... Uh, Apple has, I mentioned it, Apple as an example, but uh, Apple has health insurance for employees. My husband is there. He has health insurance with one crowd and dental insurance with another. His health insurance covers me, him and the kids. Uh, and he has to pay, I think, 90 quid a month in BIK. That's benefit and kind tax towards it. Definitely not going on air. <laughs> I don't know. I wouldn't want to know who you are or don't know who he is. That's fine. I would like to know the name of the package, though. I'm not joking you here. If you're kind enough to give me the name of the package, then, and I won't give it out on air, but I'll certainly ask for it the next time I'm getting my insurance renewed. Because there's a thing. This is a thing that people don't know. If you know someone working in Apple or working in any big company that they have a deal for their health insurance, get the name each Health insurance package on the market has a name. Sometimes they're actual names like, you know, Plan A plus or Plan B, whatever. Sometimes then they have a code number, PKKTP2, you know. If you get the name of the package, doesn't matter whose package it is, doesn't matter who's offering it, you have to get it. It doesn't matter if you're 80 years of age and this is a package for an engineering firm staffed by 20 and 30 something you can still get it it's worth thinking about no wait and I know and they're not going to change it because they can't they're too deep into it now 
great idea, though. 0818 96 96 96. Now, I don't know if you've ever heard of Kay McShane. Kay McShane, I had to look her up, I must admit. I had to look her up, and then I realised I had come across her in the 80s. Um, but she was a very famous Cork sports person. And Kay McShane passed away in the last number of years, late 2019, early 2020. And down at Spike Island, they want to do an exhibition in her honour. They've said they want to do an exhibition in Kay McShane's honour. But there's a problem. And I'm talking to Anne McShane, who's Kay's sister, about it. And before we get into the nature of the issue, shall we say, um, tell me a bit about Kay for for people who, who wouldn't remember her or who would, might not have heard of her, younger listeners who might not have heard of her. Morning, Anne. Good morning, PJ. So uh, Kay was my older sister, um, 12 years older than me, and she was born in Fermoy and brought up in Spike Island along with myself and the rest of my family. Uh, my father was in the army, Irish army, and we were based in Spike Island back then. She um, got polio uh, when she was three years of age uh, during a polio epidemic and she was paralysed from the waist down um, as a result of, of, that, um, of, of that disease. And she went on then to become a, a, a sportswoman of some renown. That's right. So until she was, she didn't actually get involved in sports until she was in her 30s. And then she began getting involved in sports. And she was an amazing sportswoman. Like we're talking about like top quality, you know, international sportswoman. We were so shocked and it was like it was amazing. She won a couple of Paralympic medals, didn't she? She won the silver medal at the Paralympics in 1984 for the marathon. She won two bronze medals in 1988. She won three consecutive gold medals in the London Marathon between 84 and 86. Also, she won uh, a number of uh, gold medals in the Dublin Marathon. So, you know, obviously today we have a lot of more interest in Paralympics and there's a lot more recognition as there should be. Yes. But Kay was one of those people who really was at the cutting edge of this. You know, she was a crusader, really. And it was 2019 then that the management at Spike said, look, we'd love to honour Kay with an exhibition. And I'm sure you thought, that's brilliant. So what happened? That Kay very sadly died in December 2019, um, quite suddenly. And in the January 2020, there was an article in the Evening Echo um, which was about Kay's life and achievements and such a really nice uh, piece. And then some of the staff over in Spike Island saw it and they thought, oh, that would be nice to do something about Kay in the exhibition. They brought it to management and we met with management in January 2020. Myself and Michael, Kay's husband, he brought a lot of her medals and trophies from Dublin and we handed them over to them on the day. Yes. We said at the time, well, actually, we thought it was accessible. We thought that all of the issues had been dealt with. And we said it needs to be accessible, absolutely. And even actually the write-up that they have on the Spike Island website about Kay says about her fight for accessibility after she retired from sports, you know, how this became her main battle. She became a huge advocate for it in, in her latter years, didn't she? Uh, accessibility for all. 
Exactly. And she was involved in the, because she lived in Dublin, she was involved in the Blanchestown Community Independent Living Group. And they would go out and they would do inspections of various buildings and parking spaces, et cetera, et cetera. And then they would report back on them. So it was she, she was usually, usually committed to it. And, you know, we said there's no way anything could be put about her without it being accessible to all wheelchair users. And I was very surprised to learn that the exhibition space up there isn't accessible. I was only over in Spike in September at their literary festival and I presented a couple of events there. It's a world-renowned historical centre now. I was very surprised to learn that it's inaccessible. I know. I've only just found out now that they went and bought a new bus in 2021, which is not an accessible bus. We visited in 2021. Michael Kay's husband, myself and my other sister went over and he had a terrible time. Honestly, getting on and off the bus, uh, the boat, I should say, he found it very stressful. He's also a wheelchair user, right? He's also a wheelchair and it was also a Paralympian. We had to push him up the hill. You know, it was very, very tough because Spike on their website, they say they have quite a steep incline. You would think of being something like that was maybe 10 yards long. But this is what, like, would it be a half a kilometre up to the up to the four? It would be. It would be, yeah. It's a good walk. It's a nice walk on a summer's day, but not in a wheelchair, no. Not in a wheelchair. And obviously not also if you're in any way impaired with your own walking. So they have a bus that you can use if you're able to walk but not walk well. But there's no way a person in a wheelchair can get on that bus. So, I mean, they're recognising there's a problem, but not making it available for wheelchair users. Anyway, so we went there that day and we made it really clear, you have to get this sorted. Yes, 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 yes. And now here we are. They will not give a commitment to the bus. And like I was, you know, I was just angry and upset. And I felt that we had been misled. And that's more like I do feel like that now that we were they knew where we stood. They knew like we weren't going to accept a situation where her husband or her colleagues or anybody else in a wheelchair would be so stuck about getting up to that fort, you know, that they would be prevented from actually properly being able to access that exhibition. Yeah, because, as I said, I'm, I'm a frequent enough visitor to spike and I I enjoy that that walk up but I couldn't imagine pushing somebody's wheelchair up that hill well like if Kay had been in her heyday she would have got up that hill because as a Paralympian and as an active sports person you would but not a normal person in a wheelchair and and even with pushing it it's stressful it introduces a level of stress that's unnecessary like it's only adapting a bus and it will cost eight and a half thousand so you would think like this is a publicly owned island. I mean, I know that they have the Spike Island Development Company as the formal owner, but this is a wholly owned public company. It is. It is. It's not it something is. that they can continue to hide behind, I feel. And the island itself is owned by the county council. And what surprised me was the the mere eight and a half thousand, surely somewhere in a county council budget in these days of accessibility and the importance of accessibility, surely they could find €8,000. I know. And even, like, to be honest, we were so keen for this exhibition to happen. And when we realised that this was a problem for them, 
um, you know, that they would have to raise the funds for. We offered to raise funds. You know, we offered to crowdfund. We offered to do whatever we needed to. But they didn't ever take us up on that. You know, if it was a question of money, it could have been sorted. But I don't know. Is it just about money or do they just simply not want to do this? You know, it feels to me now like that. They just don't want to make it accessible. You know, I hope I'm wrong, but it's taken me three years and us as a family, three years to come around to the point where we felt we had to go public with it, you know, and that took a lot because it's a it's our personal story as well as it being an issue for all disabled people. You know, we do feel very angry now um, about what, what what's happened. I mean, you would think there's enough money in the country to pay 8,000. And is that what the family is saying now, Anne? Either sort this bus out or give us back case things. Well, yes, because we can't go ahead like with an exhibition that's not accessible. We don't want this to happen. We didn't. We don't want to be saying, you know, putting it in those kind of stark terms. But I don't think we have any other choice. To be fair, Anne, you're not. They're my words. I'm, I'm interpreting what the family yeah. is saying is either fix this bus, put it right, or give us back case things. That's more or less it, really. They have all her medals and all her trophies and all her photographs, all our family's bits and pieces, you know, about Kay and her life. We gave them all over to them in good faith. We were mad about her as a family. We all were, and we've all felt it really hard since she died. And maybe we'll have to go and look for somewhere else. Yeah. If Spike don't provide it, maybe that will be the case. You know, we don't know at this stage, but like this is a world historic centre for it not to be accessible, especially when it's a public funded, publicly owned um, organisation really is a disgrace. It's actually a wider discussion that you're opening, Anne, because I must say I was very surprised to learn that there was an issue with, with the bus and there would be thousands of people coming to Spike in the summer if Kay's exhibition is on, there'll be hundreds alone will arrive to see that. And because of her background, there will be lots of people coming in wheelchairs. I would have thought it's a no-brainer. I know. And when you look on the Spike website, there's a part of it which is about Spike Island characters. And they have Kay up there and they have a number of fantastic photographs and the story of her life. And I think if I was a young person into sports of any kind, that I would read that and I would feel inspired Absolutely. And it's been interesting to talk to you. I think there is not just this story to be told, but there's a broader question here as to why one of Ireland's finest attractions, why it's not accessible for someone in a wheelchair. I think you've raised a much broader conversation there. Absolutely. Absolutely. That's what we want. We want to use her memory in order to achieve something for people who are often prevented from visiting public centres, cultural events and such an important exhibition as is currently in Spike Island. Yeah. And she'd be proud of you. Thank you very much. Thank you so much. Thank you, Peter. My my pleasure. And by the way, uh, good luck. I know that you have a meeting this morning or have been planning a meeting with some trade unionists in the tourism business in Cove where there'll be some support it does seem daft, though, and that if that bus is not accessible to a wheelchair, and we all know the hill, the pull up to the main centre in Spike, it's a lovely walk on a summer's day. 
better up. It's better coming down, mind you. But it's a lovely walk on a summer's day. But not in a wheelchair. And not pushing a wheelchair. So let's see what... Let's, we'll follow that one and see where it goes. Um, 0818 96 96 96. That's, uh, that's Anne McShane. All right, let me give you one more listen to this fella. We are with our friends at the Carrigline Furniture and Carpet Centre all this week. And we have a €1,500 Euro voucher to give away on Friday. And you can spend it on whatever you want in the store. Respite mattresses and beds or quality flooring or carpets, whatever. If it's inside the four walls of Carrigline Furniture and Carpet, you can spend your voucher on it. We want to know who's bouncing on our bed. Who is bouncing on our bed? Who is this fella? He's one of the highest paid actors in the world at this stage. Who, who is he though? Just want to keep having fun. Some of it comes easier, some of it doesn't. Yeah. I know the production department at 96FM did that so they would get every last double entendre within it. Just listen to him. He's bouncing on the bed. Listen to what he's saying. Huh? Just want to keep having fun. Some of it comes easier, some of it doesn't. Stop it. Stop it. Stop it. Who is it? Who is it? 0818-969696 is the phone number. But if you want to tell me who that is, your name and his, please, to 83 Join the conversation. This is the Opinion Line. With the Cork City Marathon. Take on your next challenge this June by running solo or with a team. Register at CorkCityMarathon.ie. Cork's 96 FM. The Cork Diary. Cork's 96 FM. Cork's Got Talent auditions will take place on Saturday the 11th of March in the Middleton Park Hotel from 11am to 6pm. The auditions are open to all ages with 12 acts and one wild card being put through to the final which takes place on the 27th of May. Funds raised from the event will go towards Down Syndrome Cork. If you have an event you would like mentioned, email the details to corkdiary at 96fm.ie. Cork Diary with CorkSimon.ie because everyone who calls Cork home should have one. Cork's 96FM. There's some stories that we come back to when we take a particular interest in them and there's been another twist over the last few days in a story that we have been following since late last year. I speak of the story of Tracy Tully and her son Kevin Sheehy. Kevin was a potentially Olympic medalist boxer for Ireland, fine, talented young boxer, father of one, and he was murdered by a man called Logan Jackson, who knocked him down with a jeep and drove over him, and was jailed for life in December of 2021. Uh, when a jury at the Central Criminal Court rejected his defence of provocation. Um, Within weeks of being jailed for life, Logan Jackson appealed to the Justice Minister. There is a piece of law there. I know not why, but he appealed to the Minister for Justice to be allowed to go back to the UK and to serve his sentence there. And initially, the Minister for Justice at the time was of a mind to grant it. 
But then Kevin, she, his mum, Tracy Tully, spoke up and said, no, hang on a minute here. Why should my son's killer be allowed to go back home to serve his sentence there? He murdered my son here. He should serve that sentence here. And we spoke to Tracy at the time about how this was affecting her and the family. She has a car connection because to get away from the stress of it all, sometimes she goes and she stays with a relative. I think it's in Formoy, and I think she spent Christmas there, um, which was lovely for her. But initially it was granted, and then it got put back. And before Christmas, which was the last time I spoke to Tracy, I have a reminder of it here, before Christmas, she was satisfied that Logan Jackson wouldn't be going anywhere for the foreseeable future. This is that conversation, just a snatch of it, before Christmas. For the foreseeable future, anyway, that's where he'll be, he's staying put. It's a relief now, to be honest. There's a stay put on it, which means it could happen in the future, but you don't think it's likely? I don't see any time in the near future, anyway, so I, I feel like I can relax for a bit. Um, but if it comes up again, I'll maybe go up against a new minister for justice I'm unsure but like uh, my son's death was horrendous like this man murdered my son in cold blood I just I think like he he murdered my son in this country he stayed in this country where he did the crime it's it's not over but if it if it comes to go again you'll go again I'll go again yes yes might have a nice peaceful Christmas now please God this year that was November when we talked on the opinion and that was our second conversation with Tracy back in November and I thought and she thought that that was it for a while at least for a good while at least that Logan Jackson would be serving his sentence in in Ireland unfortunately not it emerged late last week in fact Tracy got a phone call to say that the transfer was now going to be sanctioned by the the new Minister for Justice, or the acting Minister for Justice, Simon Harris, was to sanction the transfer. The transfer that was put on hold pre-Christmas by the actual Minister. She's out on maternity leave now, Helen McEntee. And the man stepping in for her is Simon Harris, and he is granting the transfer. We don't know yet whether Kevin, or whether whether... Logan Jackson has been taken back to the UK, but the transfer has been has been granted. Um, Tracy, how how do you feel now? Morning. Um, I'm actually blown away. I feel gaslighted. To be honest, I really do. It was um, it was never sitting very well with me because they just kept giving me uh, the reply of he's here for the foreseeable future and this is great and all the costs are covered and you know and I, I, I kept questioning is this a win you know this doesn't feel like a win you know I was reassured for that I could relax you know and take a break you were given to understand that he wouldn't be going anywhere for, for a foreseeable future. For the foreseeable future. I was told to relax, you know. But now what we hear is that the Attorney General has told the Minister for Justice that he must be moved. Mm, and he's going on his human rights and he's on 23-hour lockup, which I have been questioning 
from beginning, that was one of my main questions. I'm even questioning, why is he on 23-hour lockup? The minister feels that that was kind of one of the reasons why he came to the decision to repatriate him, because he's on 23-hour lockup. So they say that he's been threatened by who? I don't like the sound of that because then it's kind of nearly a reflection on my family who's threatening him. Yeah, and you haven't been told any of this. You haven't been told a whole lot, Tracy, have you, since the start? I haven't even had a briefing, um, a proper briefing, proper understanding to what actually has happened. It's It feels sneaky. I guess if the, if it is a thing that the Attorney General has turned to Minister Simon Harris and said, look, you have to grant his request... There's not a whole pile you can do about that if, it's that, if, if that's legally what the minister has to do. Mm. Well, I have requested, I, want, I would like to meet with the minister. I do not understand these decisions that have been made um, and where my son's human rights come into any of this. Yes. You know, where my granddaughter's human rights come into this. You're getting quite a lot of support from Willie O'Dee, who just happens to be a barrister as well. Thank God for him. Like you know, I can't, I can't thank him enough for his um, help. He's yeah, he's going to raise it in the doll on Tuesday. But in the meantime, we, we're, he's not gone yet, as far as I know, because that's another thing. I, do, I, I, I don't even know if I will be told whether because who would tell me? I'm just Kevin's mother. Like that's the way it is. It's like they're coming from my soul now, <laughs> you know. And no, they're, they're not going to break me this way. Like you know. If he goes, he goes at this stage. I think this is maybe for my own healing journey, but I will be raising awareness because I hope this never happens to another family because it's it, it, it can be soul-destroying. And I have had, because I've just had great support of really true, I've who I have around me is who I need. And I've got true friends and people that believe in me. And we know that the decision is just... Is, Ridiculous, like. I'm reading a statement that was issued on Thursday by Simon Harris or on his behalf where he again expressed his condolences to your family. He then said that with great difficulty he had acceded, that's the legal term, granted Logan Jackson's request. How, how did that statement make you feel, Tracy? Um, that's the first time I've actually heard that statement, would you believe? I've had no information from anyone. The minister said he's acutely, again, the statement continues, the minister is acutely aware that news will be difficult for the family. He has kept the feelings of the family in in the forefront of his mind in arriving at this decision and had explored all possible options, but is obliged to act in a matter consistent with international law. And that's what he's saying here. What did you say to that? Is it okay at this moment in time to say I have no comment? I'd have to think about that one. I think that's a very strong response. Mm. Yes, no comment. Okay, and it will be raised by Willie O'Dea in the Doyle on Tuesday? It will, yeah. I have to say to you as a parent myself, the idea that somebody could murder your boy Mm. and then be able to go home to serve his prison sentence. Mm. 
That doesn't yes. sit right with me as a parent. It, do, it just, would you believe I had that wrote down today? It doesn't sit right with me. It, nothing of it sits, you know, sits right. Um, and just before you go, I, I, I always asked my son, well, I always, only once, and he just said this to me. I said, I know what it feels like, obviously, when you win. I always say this. And he says, yeah. And I said, what's it feel like when you lose? Do you know, what's it feel like coming home in the car with your dad, do you know, and you lose? And he looked at me and he just said, he said, you don't lose, you learn. As if I should have known that. He said it knowingly. And, you know, I'm starting to feel like I haven't lost here. I'm learning. I'm starting to feel the real meaning in those words. So thank you. I know we'll talk again. Thank you too. We will. I appreciate your support as well. Thanks. That's my pleasure, Tracy. As I said, and I mean this from the bottom of my heart, you know, it does not sit well with me. And I would love to have the legal expert or the humanitarian or the do-gooder Sorry, no, but that's the word I'd be using. Sit across that table there in front of me and tell me why it is okay to think that you can come to this country, murder a young man by driving over him in a jeep, murder him, be found guilty of his murder, be sentenced to life, and then be sent home. Why that is okay is beyond me. I don't know why a Minister for Justice would grant it. I don't know why that individual's human rights come into it even. I just don't know why local Jackson should be allowed serve his sentence in the UK. At least the first half of it should be served here. If we even compromise on that, at least the first half of it should be served here. But no, eight weeks into his sentence, he applied to be sent home. And now, the latest development is that Simon Harris, we're given to understand, has been told by the Attorney General that legally you must grant him his repatriation. I'm sorry, it doesn't, it doesn't work. That doesn't work in my head. I can't make that work in my head. I really can't make it work in my head. 0818969696. We started this morning talking about the clash, as it were, between two groups of protesters on the Grand Parade on Saturday afternoon. We spoke to Donald O'Keefe from The Echo, who was there covering the protests for the paper and has written about it this morning or indeed at the weekend. I'm not too sure where the article came out, but I have it in front of me. I'll check that date for you. But he described what he saw. And he said, essentially, it didn't exactly descend into violence, but there were scuffles. There was unpleasantness. Eggs were thrown. But a line of about 20 guards got between the two groups. 20, he estimated, it could have been more, could have been as many as 30, but Donald's best estimate was 20. <laughs> PJ, I'm raging. I'm raging. Where the hell did they find 20 guards on the Grand Parade? Normally you can't find one. And yes, I feel all these protesters are playing games on a serious issue at the expense of the rest of us. Well, as I said earlier on, caller, you were probably listening, but you're at work, I understand that. Um, clearly somebody 
in Garda management, as they say, the white shorts, not the blue ones, the white shorts, they perceived a threat on Saturday. And they got cops in there to make sure that if anything broke out, that they'd be on the ground and in control. And you know what? That's good policing. That's good policing. But it just means that resources were used up on Saturday afternoon that shouldn't have had to be. On people throwing stuff off of motorways, the guards have come out and warned people now. I mean, the fact that you have to actually warn drivers that some scut would throw something down at you off a motorway bridge. Do you have to warn motorists that this is a thing in 2023? Tom says anyone throwing stones or anything down at cars or buses off bridges should be charged with attempted murder and jailed. Yeah, you're not wrong. And back to health insurance. Just clearing up the correspondence here. Uh, Health insurance. We're talking about how companies that have health insurance plans, like Apple, for example, and I'm sure others have. You name any big company, I'm sure they have health insurance. Particularly the, the, the pharma companies, say the likes of Pfizer and all. They all have, Johnson Johnson, they all have big health insurance plans. If you can get the name of the health insurance plan and call your provider, or call any provider, like if someone, if they have a plan with VHI, you get the name, but you have to get it from VHI. If you get, if it's Leia, if it's anyone, you have to get it. That's the truth. That's, that's the law. As, as the late Richie Grogan used to say, that's the law and that's fact. Alana Murphy says all the policies are available to look at on the HIA website. Every policy and you can compare. I'm not sure, Alana, I may be wrong here. I have looked at that website. It's a fabulous website. I'm not sure if the company plans, the actual one, like Apple's one, for example. I'm not entirely sure, or I'm not just picking Apple out of where people pick things. I'm just saying, I'm not sure if their one is available on the HIA website to look at and compare. But if you know someone who's on it, you can get yourself put on it just by asking. 0818 96 96 96. There's a man called Podrick. He's going to try something Either unique or dumb, and I'm not kind of sure yet which. Certainly unique. He could well destroy himself in the process, but he's going to try it anyway for a very, very good reason. Talk to him next. 0818-96-96-96. I don't often open a conversation this way, but Padraig Carroll, have you taken leave of your senses? Good morning. Good morning, PJ. How are you doing? Very good. Now, I, anyone who's ever walked up Patrick's Hill even once a day from bottom to the top knows what a, a drag it is. You want to do it 65 times in a day. Tell me why. Um, as you said, look, it's uh, unique and uh, stupid. And I, I guess I qualify for both of those positions. Um, the main reason is it's an honour of my son, Lucas, and my late daughter, Alice who have cystic fibrosis. So on April 14th, Cystic Fibrosis Day is international around Ireland. Yes. A lot of people are doing challenges, so I knew I had to do something. I just didn't know what. I knew it had to be inexpensive, and I had to do it 65 times. Explain so, the 65 for people who mightn't get that reference. Yes, exactly. So 
cystic fibrosis. In the 1960s, there was a, a young boy in America, and he overheard his parents referring to 65 roses. Um, but they were actually talking about cystic fibrosis. So it's, it's a cute little story attached to a terrible condition. Mm-hmm. Um, and just for people that don't know, that condition causes thick mucus to build up in the body. Um, it causes problems with breathing, digestion. Um, so there's, yeah, it's it's a terrible condition, PJ. And we have an, in, an enormously high level of it in this country. We do. It's it's very strange. It's basically what's known as the 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 Celtic gene, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, which is a polite way of saying it. But it doesn't really make any sense in in my case because both parents have to carry the CF gene, and yes. there's a one in nineteen chance of a person having that gene. But my wife is from Brazil, so the chances, the numbers don't really add up. But yet. You know, we we managed to to get our our unlucky hand. Okay, okay. Tell me first of all about Lucas. Yeah, Lucas is uh, just a typical boy. He's uh, he's spoiled, even though we're not meant to spoil him. But I can't help it. You know, mm. anytime we're out, he he manages to return home with with uh, different sets of cars and and toys and lorries. What age uh, is he? He is twenty months old. Okay. Nearly two. Nearly two. Nearly two. And and look, he's doing very, very well yeah. considering his condition. We try to to give him a normal life, which is most important. Is he going to be eligible, Podrick, for any one of these? And there are some wonderful drugs out there now for CF. Yes. In fact, they reduce the age for starting those drugs. And one of those drugs is called Orcambi. Yeah. So in, in four months' time, Lucas will be starting that. And oh, that, that's brilliant! Because that's how I, I've I've talked to people who say that that drug changed their life in weeks. Exactly, and and look, all things considered, we're very cautious with Lucas. You know, anytime we're out, we come back home, we sanitize, we wash the hands, we, and he even knows it. He knows straight away, even from an early age. He'd walk over to the sink, and he'd, he'd wait to be picked up and wash his hands. Um, even with his medicine that he takes twice a day, we we just call it pinky because it's a pink uh, medication, That's and he takes the the little suitor out and opens his mouth. He is That's so good. Ah, brilliant! So good. That's, and yeah. I'm so thrilled that he'd be able to go on our candy. Now, tell me about his his late little sister. What happened there? Yes. Yeah, so, Alice, everything was okay. Okay, and look, we ran the numbers game. We said, what are the chances of this happening to us twice? Yeah. And yes, it did. Um, The anomaly test at 20 weeks came back normal. Everything was fine. So um, my wife, Priscilla, is very meticulous. She likes to plan. So we bought clothes. We we got a double buggy from a family member. Um, We took so long deciding on a name. The name had to be perfect. And then at week 32, we noticed um, Alice's belly was swollen. And deep down, we just knew it was CF straight away. Oh, God. Yeah, so we, uh, Scylla went up to CUH, and from there, COVID was in full swing, so I, I wasn't even allowed to go in with her. So it was 
her in an ambulance all the way up to the rotunda. Um, she gave birth to Alisi. Alisi was then moved to Temple Street and uh, she she passed three days later. Oh, I'm so sorry to hear that. So sorry to hear that. Thank so you. it's it's in memory of Alisi and in support in of, Alisi, of Lucas that you're going to do... Now, are you fit? <laughs> um, I would probably be about 50%. You know, I, I have a sweet tooth. I, I like my, my couch. I absolutely love my couch. I like my Netflix. Um, I... I actually do you run? Not do you swim? What do you bike? What do you do? Nothing like that. Oh, Absolutely nothing. I, I do go to the gym and I, I, I kinda do the odd bit of weights and so on and so okay. forth, but I did go up Patrick's Hill yesterday five times okay. in twenty eight minutes. So that's from Priory Coffee, shall we say, up to up to Bruce. That's it. Right. Up uh, to the very are you to, up to be, up to Bell's Field, yeah? Um, up to up to Bruce, so straight across from Bruce, there's a, there's a large tree, yes. and I've kind of put that as my finish line. Okay, and straight back down again, straight back up again. Did it five times? How long did that take you? Uh, that took twenty eight minutes, and it's two kilometers exactly. And so, what state were you in after that? You know what? I I was fine. <laughs> I was actually I surprised myself because I have a little bit of a, a cough as well currently. So yeah. I thought that I would be absolutely destroyed. But no, I was fine. I even went shopping in Dunn's afterwards. Good so, and Because you can break the gradient with the steps, but still, are, are you doing that or are you walking up the road? Oh, yeah. So we've, we've started. So we're, we're walking up the road. Um, I've joined the gym. They have an, an elliptical. They have the, the stair machine as well. But I noticed it this morning on my calves. I'll bet ankles. you did. I'll bet you did, fella. And 14th of April, you have to do it 65 times. Fifteenth uh, on the fourteenth, we're collecting money in Super Value and Carrigal Lines. Okay. We have two stations set up, but on the fifteenth, I said, "Look, it's a Saturday. Let's do it on the Saturday." Can we now, talk I, to I, you on the seventeenth from your hospital bed? <laughs> 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 yeah, absolutely. Book him in, lads. Seriously, and you will be. Listen, I've every, I've every faith in you. It's a wonderful thing that you're doing to raise money for cystic fibrosis in memory of your lovely little daughter and indeed in honour of your son. Podrick, i got to run for no reason other than time. Best of luck when it comes around. 65 times up Patrick Hill a day. He'll be there on the 16th of 15th, 16th of April. We'll, we'll look, we'll let you know the date. It's the 16th he's doing it? 16th he's doing it. And um, 65 times in a day. He's mad out of his box, but still, we wish him the best with it. Very quickly, uh, Lorna Geary. Lorna Geary. Tell me one second now. Help me. Who's in the bed? Just want to keep having fun. Some of it comes easier, some of it doesn't. Say again? Chris Hemsworth. Chris Hemsworth. Thor. Yeah. Uh, All right. One of the highest paid actors in the world right now. You are into the draw. The draw will be made on Friday. Brilliant. That's great. That's Lorna Geary from Toker. Lads, she's back with you there. That's pretty much the size of it for today. Programme edited by Fergal Barry, produced and researched by Richard Vickery. Thanks to you for taking part in the conversation in whatever way that you did. And we'll start it all again tomorrow morning, just after nine. Join the conversation. This is the Opinion Line. With the Cork City Marathon. Take on your next challenge this June by running solo or with a team. Register at CorkCityMarathon.ie. Cork's 96 FM. 
Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.